Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. I think one of the reasons why Christians are just clueless is I think we just get so self-absorbed. And we have a philosophy in life that I'm going to try to address is that we try to separate ourselves from the world. And that's kind of led us to have this kind of holy huddle mentality that we just hang out with other Christians. And that's why I think we're very uh, ineffective or we're not as effective as we need to be in our terms of our calling. And I want to mention that, talk about that today. So uh, the passage is just one verse and then I'll expound on it. And then I'll use other passages just to kind of support some of the things that I'm uh, sharing here. It comes from First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. Some of you might be familiar with this passage, but I think it will be helpful for all of us to know this verse. Because whenever we talk about making a difference in this world and really raising up people who will bring forth change, I think this is one verse that you should try to keep in mind. It says this in the ESV. I'll read it for us. It says this of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all of the kinsmen were under their command. Let me read it from the New Living Translation so you could understand it a little bit better. It says this, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. So there are two phrases in this verse that I want to make it into the two points that I want to highlight for us. The first is you'll see here that they understood the signs of the time. The second part that you'll see here as a phrase is they knew the best course of action, if you will, for Israel to take. So I want you to think about those two phrases in this verse where it talks about they understood the signs of the times and then they knew the best course for Israel to take pretty much the best course of action, what to do while understanding the signs of the times. So the first point that I want to mention here is that we must understand the reality of the, our times, where we are living in right now. Too. We must understand the reality of our times. Let me give a, a little context to this verse so that it makes sense to you. Because if you just read it, it's easy to pull it out of context. So try to understand it in context. Uh, as you know, Saul... King Saul was the first king of Israel. But if you know anything, and if you've been doing your uh, BRPs with us, you, you know that Saul was not a good king. In fact, he started off very humble, but because of pride and because of different situations in his life, he came to a point where he completely turned away from God, disobeyed God, did whatever he wanted to do. And at the end, he was even seeking a medium, a spirit, or someone to speak to him because the Holy Spirit left. And this is when, starting from First Chronicles chapter 11, our previous chapter, we see that David and all of Israel gathered together at Hebron, which is a very important city for the Jewish people. And it was in Hebron where the elders of Israel anointed David as the new king. Now, it's from Hebron, David and the Israel people went then to Jerusalem after being anointed as king in Hebron, they ended up going to Jerusalem and it was there that they built the city, the city of Jerusalem. And where David's throne will now be established, not only in that time, but from generation 
after generation. That's why Jerusalem is a very important city in Jewish history, in Israelites' history. And then we come to chapter 11, verse 10, all the way through chapter 12, verse 22. So right before the verse 23. So in this almost chapter and a half, you will, notice, you will notice here that there is a mentioning of David's warriors, those who helped him during the war. So it's almost like saying, here are all the people who gave us victory as the Israelite people. And he started listing all these different warriors. So if you just look at your script Bible, you will see that. And then in verse 23 to 37, and we're just going to read verse, we just read verse 23. But in that next section, we see all the list of different tribes of Israel coming together. And in fact, if you do the numbers, it totals over 300 some thousand people who were men of war who brought victory to Israel. So now you're thinking, so how does this all play out? What does this all mean? Well, first of all, you have to understand there was a major change that was happening in Israel's history because Saul is no longer the king. David got anointed as king in Hebron and now they moved to Jerusalem and they're building and establishing David's throne as king forever now that's what's happening but the question is why the list of all these different tribes and different people and why are we focusing on this tribe of Issachar and the thing is that all these people contributed to help bring bringing change as the wars that they had to fight brought Israel the victory needed so that the king David can rule and reign over the throne so that's the context in which we're reading this and it specifically highlights here the tribe of Issachar when you see this it states that the men of Issachar understood the signs of the time I want you to look at that word to understand that word if you study this it means to know to realize to perceive to consider to find out or simply to be aware. So here are these men and probably women in these tribes, but you will see that these people who make up the tribe of Issachar, they understood, they perceived, they were aware of what was happening around them. Now, this knowing or understanding comes from either experience, now listen to me carefully, or possessing some kind of knowledge. So these men of Issachar, some of them experienced because they were out in war as they were fighting with David to bring victory to Israel. But you have to also understand the idea of to understand. Sometimes you don't need to experience it personally. You just need to gather the information. Uh, I, I have a friend who was one of the last ones to get married amongst our circle. And it was interesting because as he was a pastor, he was uh, pastoring a church with a lot of young people, not young as you guys, but young couples, young families. And so there were many people who were in their 30s who just started off as they got married. They were having marital problems, but he was a single guy. And I remember like some people would be saying like, well, what, what does he know? He's not married. And so he, he's not really a good counselor or there was sometimes make those kind of comments or this person will feel like that for themselves, sometimes feeling insecure, thinking like, how can I help some of these married couples with what they're going through? Partly because I've never been married, so I don't know what it feels like. And I think this is the argument that a lot of people use for experience. 
And I'm not knocking on experience. I think experience is a good thing because then it gives you a greater understanding because you now know what it feels like, what it um, not only feel, but also to know through intellect, through your senses. So experience is a good thing. But you guys understand that there are a lot of things in life you will not have experience of. Can I get a good amen? You guys know that. And so what I had to try to counter some of these people who will say that is simply to say that even though a person's not married, when two people are in conflict because there's a lack of forgiveness, I think he knows how to address that. Does that make sense? If there's a situation where one person is being selfish, then you don't have to be married to know as you gather information what it feels like to be selfish. Are you with me? And so here what you notice is that these people, they understood they were able to understand. So you don't need to go thousands of miles away to another country to be there in the protest to actually feel something or to know something. You can actually gather their information to understand just by watching the news and making sure that it's balanced because it will always be tilted toward one side. It's kind of funny because as I've been just recently just trying to keep up with everything that's been going on, it's amazing when I look at the two extremes of the news. On one hand, they're saying all this negative stuff. And then on the other hand, they're saying all this positive stuff. I'm like, it's almost like contradictory to one another. And this is when I realized a lot of it is just perspective. And so if all you get is this person's perspective or this side's perspective, you're going to look at a situation in a completely biased way. Or if you look at it from this perspective, you're going to get another bias and you won't be able to see the whole picture. That's why it is imperative as followers of Christ, you need to get both sides of the story. Now, with this word understand, these people who perceived, they were aware, they considered, uh, they were able to know, not just through experience, but also through gathering of information, you will notice here that it begins to share about now in this information, the question is, what did they do? Now, before you can answer that, the challenge for us is how well do you understand? Uh, as I was sharing those questions in the beginning, uh, the way I would have answered it if I was in college is just, I just didn't care. Or I just never watched the news. Or it wasn't something I was interested in. And it wasn't until I went to this missions conference with 20,000 students from all over the United States. Some came from different parts of the world. We were gathered together in the huge dome in this kind of stadium. And we were all singing these incredible worship songs. We were focused on Jesus as speakers. We're all talking about the heart of God and for missions. And I'll never forget this one speaker. He's, he was quoting somebody, but he said this, for every single person who calls themselves a Christian, this person was saying that you need to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And he began to explain why this is important. Because when you read the Bible, you will understand why the news is happening, why things are happening. And then when you watch the news or read the news, you will know what the Bible has to say. And so I thought that was, it was in that moment I began to say, wow, I need to read the news more. I need to begin to understand what's going on not just in my little circle, but all around the world. Now, many of you don't read newspaper. I don't know when was the last time you picked up a physical newspaper. 
So now what I would requote that and say, have the Bible app in one hand and have the internet in the other hand to be able to know what's happening around the world. So why is it important to understand the times? Well, first of all, it helps us to pray. How else are you going to pray without knowing and understanding and being aware of and perceiving what is happening? You won't be able to pray. You'll be like, Lord, it's kind of like just recently, I don't know how many people, a lot of people contacted me. They're, they're like, oh, hey, Seth, or like, hey, Pastor Seth, like, is everything okay there in Hong Kong? They just felt like the whole world was crashing down. Now, for some of us, that's how we might have felt. But I'm like, like, we're safe because they thought, the, you know, the army was coming in and doing all that. I'm like, we're safe, but it does have some ramifications. So I had to kind of explain and... I don't know if I want to say this, but I just ended up because I had to respond to so many. I just started cutting and pasting, you know, and just responding. This is this is the situation. Pray for us about these things. And so that people will know what's happening here in Hong Kong. And because they wanted to pray for us. They know that we're here. Our church is here. So they want to know how can we pray for you? So I gave them things so they could understand information. So sometimes when you understand the times, the signs of the times, it helps you to pray more specifically. Second reason is this. Why is it important? Because it helps us to care. Because when you really begin to understand the signs of the time, then you will begin to gain God's compassion. What is it that God is trying to say about the situation? When you think about some of the situations that happened not too long ago, when just even uh, near the border of Myanmar, and so many of these refugees and so many of these people who were just starving and dying, like the more I began to read up on it and the more I began to correspond with different people who are, are concerned about these issues, you begin to gain more of God's heart. Like things that God cares about are situations that are happening around the world. And if you don't read up on the news, you don't know what's going on, then all you're going to do is you're just going to be content with receiving good blessings and things and gifts from God rather than saying, God, this is your heart. How do I respond to it? The third thing is that it helps us to see. What I mean by that is it helps us to see how God is working. We're actually able to perceive it with our own eyes and we're realizing here the situation that's happening. And even God might even call you one day to go to some of these areas and maybe possibly minister with the love of Christ in these areas. And then fourth, which is what I've been sharing, it helps us to act, to take some action. When you think about the different things that are going on, then you have to say, God, what can I do? How can I get involved? How can I help in this kind of situation? And I shared that why this is important. And I might have shared this a while back, but this is how we were able to go on one of our first missions projects early on in our church back in uh, 1997 and 98. Uh, what happened was this. I was still a college student, and I was uh, a fifth-year college student. And as I was there, uh, that's when CNN really started getting popular, like 24-hour news. Like, who will sit there and watch 24-hour news? I could watch 24-hour ESPN, you know, sports. But 24-hour news, but that's when it became really popular. I remember flipping through the channels, and it, I stopped at CNN and because there was a – just on the subtitle – on the bottom ribbon, it says that a terrorist group, the Shining Path, took over the Japanese embassy. Like, I had no idea who the Shining Path was. Like, I'm like, oh, Japan has an embassy in Peru, you know? And so I had no idea. 
So I'm watching this, and they're giving reports of what's happening. And so back then, Fujimori happened to be the president of Peru, which is very interesting because he's a Peruvian Japanese. So he was born in Peru, but he was from a Japanese descent. And so because of that, there was all this uh, fighting and just terrorist movement that was happening. And that was when this Shining Path, a terrorist group, decided to rush into the Japanese embassy and demand different reforms. And this was going on. And I don't know what day it was. It might have been like the second day of the siege. And so I'm watching this. And it's gripping my heart as I was watching and hearing some of the reports. They were trying to give different aerial pictures and things. And I was watching this. I could not get my eyes off it. And I wanted to keep on reading up on it and watching and hearing what's going on with the situation. But little did I know that God was doing something that I had no idea that he was doing. It's, I just simply was watching the news. And it was after that about several years later from that moment when I was a college student to several years later, when I, after seminary uh, in Chicago, and then we started the church in Michigan. So I would say it was about five years later or so. Uh, God placed Peru back in my heart. And so he started connecting the dots for me. And through some other signs and things that God was revealing to me, what happened was that I began to ask people, do you know any missions work in Peru? And just through that whole connection, I was able to talk to various people. And that's how we went on our first scouting trip to Lima, Peru. And then the rest is history because we were going there for, I forgot how many, 10 some years. We took a little break to focus more on Asia. And then just more recently, uh, the church back in Ann Arbor, they started engaging South America again. Now, why does, what does it have to do with anything that we're talking about? Because it started with watching the news. And by seeing and by praying for the situation, what God was doing was he was planting seeds in my heart for something that I had no idea that we were going to do in the future. This is one of the reasons why I want to encourage you to understand the signs of the times. Some of you are like, oh, like I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. And many of you will never know until some years later. Trust me, it just seems like an endless journey. But if you can be faithful in understanding the times around you, and I will say this, that somehow I believe that God is going to use what you are experiencing, what you are seeing, what you're praying about, some actions that you might be taking now so that your life can come together with the other things that will happen in the future. I, I just believe that because that's been a testimony of my life. So the question is then, what does it reveal about us if we don't read or understand the reality of the times? So I was just sitting there thinking about this, and I said, well, what it reveals about us is simply this. Number one, we are so self-focused on ourselves. And so, in fact, by you still not keeping up with the times, it just shows that you're making everything about you. You are a very self-centered, selfish person because life doesn't just revolve around you. There are things going on in this world. People are suffering. People are going through some tremendous things that for you, whatever struggle it is, it's not that bad. And so if you will stop focusing on yourself 
and look beyond yourself. And I believe this is one of the reasons how you can overcome sometimes even with struggles with such thing as like emotional health or even like depression. Do you guys know why psychiatrists would tell people who struggle with depression to get a dog? Do you know why? Some of you guys don't know this, right? But they tell people who are going through it, and please don't misunderstand me. I think mental health, those things are very important issues. Some of that is a chemical imbalance. There's a lot of stuff involved. It's not just a simplified thing. But I will say that a lot of times when we get self-absorbed, it always leads to a lot of just sadness or depression and we get very discouraged and one of the things that psychologists what they recommend is to get a dog or to get a pet even a goldfish you can't communicate with goldfish but it, like they tell you to get like a pet do you know why someone tell me why do you know why yeah because you have to take care of what someone else you have to take care of a dog you have to walk it you have to feed it cat just put the food there they'll just go and do whatever <laughs> goldfish you have to feed it so when you're able to go outside of yourself it sometimes helps you in terms of some of the emotional things you're going through and I think this is one thing that we have to tackle, this narcissistic tendency that so many of us have. And to be able to say, it's not just about me. It's not about me, but how do I look at what God is doing? Another reason is that we are stagnant in our relationship with God. This is why we don't know the reality of our times. If you're growing in your relationship with God, your heart will beat in line with the things of God's heart. And when you look around and see all the things that are happening, you realize that it, it, will, it will kill you, metaphorically, if you were not to do something. But many of us, we just don't care. It's because we don't really have a growing, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. You're just stagnant in your walk with God. The third reason is that we're too comfortable in our holy bubble. Like, think about it. You, you, you have a Christian roommate. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have Christian roommates? And you're like, oh, we wake up to praise music, you know? And you're combing your hair and getting ready to pray songs. And Erica's singing, like, oh, yeah. And you're getting all ready, putting on makeup and doing all this stuff. And then you go and you put on more Christian stuff with your Christian friend, going to a Christian thing called life group. And you study the Bible with your Christian friends, this Christian Bible. Then afterwards you pray to this Christian God and then it, Christian announcements, it deals with a lot of Christian stuff. And then you have refreshments. I don't know, Christian refreshments. There's no whiskey or better not. Anyway, Christian refreshments. And then everyone goes, okay, time to go. We're going back into with our Christian friend to our Christian home into our Christian bed with the Christian alarm clock Jesus is alive you're like okay that's my alarm <laughs> that's
That's us. Like you have no contact with anyone outside who are not even believers. Like think about it. Who I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's great to have Christian friends. But some of us, that's all we have. We don't have people that we're actually investing in and loving and caring because they need to hear the gospel. We don't even know our next door neighbors because we just don't care. So we're just too comfortable. That's why I'm wondering if some of us were just so comfortable that after a while we, we start losing God's heart and that's why a trial comes your way. You're struggling with something. You're feeling alone. All these things are good things for you because it's to wake you up. Because if not, you're going to be so lulled into comfortability that you're not going to do anything. That's why some of you who are kind of stressing out or going through stuff, it's good for you. It's making you turn your eyes to God to say, God, what is it that you're trying to do? Show me. Maybe he will open up your eyes to something that you haven't even thought about or you have, have seen before. And lastly, I think it's because we are ignorant of God's heart. So what it reveals when you don't really know the reality of the sign of the time, it just shows that you're ignorant of his heart. Like what breaks the heart of God? Do you know? And those things that break God's heart should break our hearts if we're walking with him. Because these are important things to him. And you realize that once you get into a relationship and it will lead to marriage and you have kids, because what's important to those people that you love will be important to you. So when we think about this, let's think about our lives. I'm wondering, are we keeping up with the news and situation around us? Can I just challenge us? I, I really feel like we need to make a commitment just at least once a day. Just read up on two different versions or conservative to liberal kind of newspapers or publications and read up on the news. I check it at least four or five times a day because news change constantly. What's important to you will check up. It's interesting because I have some people that I know that are constantly checking the stock market. Do you know why? Because they have stocks. And if they don't respond, they don't sell, they don't buy at a certain time, what happens? They lose money. So they're constantly, it's important to them. That's why they're constantly checking up on it. And I'm like, if you're that diligent with your stocks, with God and the things around you, you will transform the world. I'm trying to make money so I could then give to the church and transform the world. Oh, oh praise God too. You do things because it's important to you, because it's important to God. Do you have the Bible app in one hand and the internet in the other? Will you commit just at least once a day, you'll check up on the news? I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. And this is the reason why if you're going to be a brand ambassador, you're supposed to represent that brand. And that's what I want to close out with as we talk about, as we first talked about how we must understand the reality of our times. But the second and last point is that we must understand the responsibility of our calling. And so I want to talk a little bit about this ambassador mindset and what we're called to do. The other part of the verse, as I mentioned, 
focuses on knowing what to do after understanding the times. I want to read now a different translation of that verse to understand this point. It says this. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, Of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge. Come on, say it in. Is it bold? Yes, say it here with me. It says, With knowledge of what Israel should do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their kinsmen were at their command. So the part I wanted you to focus on and think about is they have this knowledge of what they ought to do, what they should do. If they're not ignorant, they're not clueless, they cannot play the victim, they cannot make excuses. They have the knowledge of what Israel should do. I'm going to read it from the ISV. Listen to what it says and read the yellow part quickly here. It says, the tribe of Issachar supplied 200 leaders along with all their relatives under their command. They kept up to date in their understanding of the times and they knew what Israel should do. So there are a couple things I want to highlight here as we understand the rest of these, uh, the, this point from these other verses or these other translations. First of all, the tribe of Issachar supplied 200 leaders. Now, why is that significant? Why is that important to talk about the responsibility of our calling? Well, it's amazing, first of all, that this tribe had that many leaders. Like if you just think about this, with all the different 12 tribes of Israel, that it was from this tribe that 200 leaders were supplied. We have to realize, and this is something that I've been mentioning this over and over, Leadership is not about positions, but it's about what? Influence. And I've said this and I'll keep on saying it again. The worst leaders are positional leaders, which means that people only follow you because you have a position. This is the reason why true leaders, you can always spot them out because even though they don't have a position, people follow you. You influence people. Everybody wants to eat dim sum, but you could convince everybody to eat Korean barbecue. Exactly. I mean, you could look at it, well, he's selfish. He's only thinking about himself. So that's why he wants to eat Korean barbecue. So anyway, let's give in to this guy. But if you're really influenced, you'd be like, no, we're not going to give in to this guy. Dim sum, dim sum, you know. But what I'm trying to say is this, without a position, can you influence people? One person, two people, group of 10. And if you can do it without a position, you do have the leadership traits. And then I'd like to talk to you afterwards. So that's my challenge. These 200 leaders that were supplied, they were influencers, probably influencing their tribe and now they're going to have a platform to influence all of Israel. And I think this is something that God has called us to be, which is simply influencers. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about that. I'm like, are you crazy? There's a lot of passages. I'll just highlight one. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, and if you remember, this is Jesus preaching the Beatitudes, totally shifting this idea of these Israelite people who were Pharisees and Sadducees and these people who thought that they were leaders, but Jesus is turning everything around. And he talks about the kingdom lifestyle. And what does he say? Read 
read the yellow passage or parts with me uh, in one voice. It says this, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be sealed seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide it under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So when you think about even cooking, you put too much salt, what happens? I mean, it's just too salty. If you don't put enough, it's bland. It's not very good. So you put this right amount of salt. So salt is really a seasoning that helps brings out the taste. That's influence. When you think about a light, you don't shine it and you hide it. But in fact, you allow it to illuminate the darkness. That's influence. And so here's Jesus saying that you are the salt influence. You have influence in terms of taste. And here is the light that you have influence in terms of bringing brightness. And so when you think about that, you realize why, why all this? Because we see it in verse 16. It says that as we begin to be generous with our lives, how we live our lives, as we do good deeds, love people, then you will help people to be open up with God. Isn't that what we want to do? We want to influence people in such a way that they will be open to this gospel message. This is the reason why we are called influencers for Christ. Whether you think that you are or not, you are influencing people, whether for the good or for the bad. In the same way, you represent him in that way. In fact, when you think about this idea of an ambassador, let me give you, according to the U.S. government website, of what it says to be an ambassador. And so this will help you to understand a little bit about the role. It says this, an ambassador is the president's highest ranking representative to a specific nation or international organization abroad. An effective ambassador has to be a strong leader, a good manager, a resilient negotiator, and as a respected representative of the United States. A key role of an ambassador is to coordinate the activities, not only of the foreign service officers, the FSO, and staff serving under him, but also representatives of other United States agencies in the country. They all have the same mission to represent the interests and policies of the United States, end quote. That's exactly from their website. This is what it means to be an ambassador. You are representing on behalf of the president and the nation of the United States to whatever country that you're going into, the policies and the mission. No wonder Paul used this idea of an ambassador when he talked to the people of Corinth. Because we represent God, who is, if, if you will, like in some sense, he is our president. He's our highest ranking person in our lives. 
and we take orders for him, from him, and we represent him wherever we go. And here we are on earth, this, this nation or this world, and we are to represent him. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says this in the NIV. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Message translation says, we're Christ's representatives. The CEV says that we are sent to speak for Christ. So we're not doing this to represent ourselves. We are brand ambassadors. We are representing Jesus Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God, what that means as we live in this world here. So not only did the tribe of Issachar supply 200 leaders, influencers, I want you to notice here that they knew what Israel should do. See, I think the problem with many of us is that we don't know what our calling is and we don't know what we ought to do. And we find ourselves going oftentimes to these two extremes. Either we separate ourselves from the world completely. We have no interaction with our roommates or our hallmates or classmates or people around us. We have no interaction with them because we're just comfortable with ourselves and Christians. Or we go to the other extreme and become just like the world. So they were like, what's the difference between you and me? You're just a Christian and I'm not. And so both extremes are bad. This is not God's intent. We have to come somewhere in the middle to that we are part of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of it. And so that's why I want to talk a little bit now quickly about this idea of Christ and culture. Now, there are many different contexts. We shared this before, but I want you to understand it. This comes directly from Richard Niebuhr in his book, Christ and Culture. He offers five frameworks of Christ and culture. What should we do with culture? Uh, the first one is Christ against culture. And I think there's many Christians, fundamental Christians, a lot of them hold to this view. Pretty much people with this mindset view culture in a negative way. They say when Christ came into this world, he separated himself from culture, which partly is true because he's different. He, he didn't just blend in with the world and did what the world did. But he was God. But one thing that we understand is that Christ did not reject the world. And so a lot of people who have this view, they totally separate themselves. These are kind of like the separatists, if you will. And I just don't think it's very biblical. Another framework that we see is Christ of culture. And this is the opposite end of Christ against culture. So Christ against culture is where they completely remove themselves from this world. And Christ of culture are those people who are just like the world. So a lot of times people who hold this view, they celebrate culture. But the problem is that they're not critical of what's going on. So they just become just like the world. And a lot of times it minimizes sin as well as that it kind of minimizes doctrine and they adhere to this more of a social gospel and more of an inclusiveness that leads to universalism, which I don't think is very biblical. The third framework is Christ above culture. And people with this mindset take more of a middle ground. And they see culture as basically a good thing, but they need to be perfected by the work of the church. So this idea that God has given the church to be the one to change culture. Now, the problem with this view is that there are different issues in this world that we can never fully, completely solve. 
And that's why we have to be able to trust in God. And there's some things that we have to surrender. But a lot of people have this view that says Christ above culture so that we now can do all these things as a church. And I don't think that's fully 100% true, which then leads to the fourth one, which is Christ and culture in paradox, which simply says that it's also a middle ground perspective. But what they say is culture is good, but it's corrupted by sin. And because of that, because of the fall, that now we see the culture has to be redeemed, which Jesus Christ did redeem. He is restoring at this very moment. And the work of transforming culture should be done to the glory of God. So they're kind of in a paradox, but they work together. And so this is a little bit where we lean towards as a church. But also, which is the fifth one, which is Christ, the transformer of culture. People with this mindset also somewhere in the middle, they say, Culture is good, corrupted by, once again, sin and the fall. And Christ is the redeemer of all creation. And that's why we should work towards the transformation of culture, once again, for God's glory. So this idea of tension of Christ and culture in paradox, but also Christ transforming culture through the gospel message. So we fall into the four and five as a church. That's our official stance that we believe that christ has called us to make a difference in our culture in this world dear carson in his book christ and culture revisited gives further perspective on niebuhr's book which is a very seminal very important book but he says even though there's five frameworks you cannot just stick with one because what dear carson is arguing for is depending on the context depending on the situation you're in, sometimes you will have to use one or two or maybe some things that you have not used before. So for instance, if you think about World War II and some of the situation that happened with the Nazis and when they were killing off Jewish people, like you, how do you transform that culture? And that's why there were a lot of Christians who secretly tried to hide the Jews away from Hitler and the SS army and all this stuff because they realized that it's the wrong thing to do. So they went against the culture. They couldn't transform it. And so, the, so that's the question for us. How do we now deal with the situation with the national security law? I mean, we need to obey, but what if there come a point where they say you cannot worship Jesus Christ? Like that's when we have to then change in terms of what we're trying to do. And so we might have to infiltrate or if you will, influence the culture in a different way. So these are all things that D.A. Carson says, you know what, you cannot stick with just one. Depending on the context and the situation, things should change around us. And that's why we have to remember what Jesus said to his followers. First John chapter 17, or excuse me, John chapter 17, verse 14 through 18. Read the yellow parts with me. It says this, I've given them your word and the word has, and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is such an important passage when we think about our responsibility to our calling. So this idea as Christ followers is that, that we are now sent into the world, but we are not of it. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I was kind of meditating on this passage, and I realized that we have to remember to look at where we are moving from. 
and then which is not of the world. We're moving, we're moving away from what the world, their values and things, but now we are moving towards with the idea that we're being sent into the world. So when Jesus Christ made it clear to his followers that you are in this world, I'm not trying to remove you from it. You are in this world. But then he says, I am sending you into the world. What he's saying is that because you're not part of this, you're, you're part of a different kingdom. Your mindset, your life is completely different from what the world says. So now as you're removed from that, but you don't disengage. That's why he says, I am now sending you into that world. There's a sense of commission. There's a sense of responsibility. There's a sense of now we know what we are called to do. We are being sent into the world. Why? Because the world is in great need of the gospel message. And this is the reason why we are being sent. We are the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus to be able to proclaim and live out the message that has transformed us. I like what G.K. Chesterton said in his book, The Ball and the Cross. And he's talking about how Christianity might seem very like way out there. And I think many of us have that kind of view. Like, yeah, if I share the gospel with my friends, they're not going to be ready to hear it. They don't really understand it. And listen to what he says. And if you want to read anything by someone that will kind of make you think, he has a lot of like paradoxical statements that really challenges your uh, conceived notions, your biases. Like if you read like Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, I think it will really enlighten you, especially a good reading for the summer. But listen to what he says. He says this, Christianity is always out of fashion because it is always sane. And all fashions are mild insanities. When Italy is mad on art, the church seems too what? Puritanical. Like too much, too prudish or too much like a Puritan. When England is mad on Puritanism, the church seems too what? Artistic. When you quarrel with us now, you class us with kingship and uh, despotism. But when you quarrel with us first, it was because we would not accept the divine despotism of Henry VIII. The church always seems to be behind the times when it is really beyond the times. It is till the last fad shall have seen its last summer. It keeps the key of a permanent virtue. Let me just try to summarize this as best as I can. Sometimes you read this and you're like, what is it trying to say? Pretty much when you look at Christianity, it is always not fashionable. Because depending on who's controlling the narrative, it just seems like Christianity is either this or that. But what he's arguing for is that Christianity is not of this world. It's completely different. But the thing is that it is constant. The whole virtue, the permanence of the values of the kingdom of God, it is permanent. And therefore, if this thing is permanent, depending on the season and depending on the circumstances, it might totally see that it's out of fashion, but it's really fast. Let me give you a good example. It was so interesting when a lot of the clothing that I wore in the 80s, when I was a high school student, they all came back in the last five to some years. And now you know what's coming back? Like those fluorescent, like the big t-shirts, they're coming back. 
And I'm just like, what the? I should have just saved my clothes. But my wife is like, it changes a little bit. You know, you can't wear the same thing. Even like the skinny jeans and we used to roll it up. We used to roll it up. I mean, like a lot of the stuff that was in the 80s that was so fashionable, when it was in the 90s and the 2000s, it was out of fashion. But guess what? After 20-some years, it comes back. So that's why I always told guys, if, if you buy a suit, like now a lot of these guys wear suits that are really short right here, right? And, you know, you can see kind of like the socks really high. It looks like they're wearing, they, we, sorry, we used to call it like wearing floods. So it's fashionable now, but give it about like five to 10 years, it's going to be out. That's why I always tell guys, if you're going to spend a lot of money on a suit, buy a suit that a president will wear because they're usually fairly conservative and that will never change. And so there are suits that I have. Some of you are like, you wear a suit? Yeah, I do have suits, but I have no need to wear it here. But there are suits that I have that some of them has been a, a while because I haven't worn them for a while. But it's not like the real fashionable in that time or in this time now. But they're just conservative. And that's why even when my brother bought me some tailored suits recently that I'm just like, try to keep it somewhat conservative because if I don't wear this for the next couple of years or so, then at least afterwards, I could still wear it. I don't know why I'm sharing this. But anyway, uh, to going back to GK uh, Chesterton, what he's simply saying is that if this constance of the gospel, the permanence of the gospel, it, depending on the season, it will always seem like it's out of style. It's out of fashion. But at the end of the day, it will always remain. And that's why the truth of the gospel is so important. All this is being said, the question is, now what? Can I give you some like real practical things to actually start implementing as we think about understanding the times, the reality of the times, signs of the times, and then also the responsibility we have to live out our calling. So I just decided to, for us to be relevant to our culture and make a difference for God's kingdom, we must know the issues. Everyone say issues. issues. So here are six things. First, intercede. Start praying about the different things that are going around the world. Like without prayer, you're not going to be able to know God's heart. You're not going to be able to find inspiration, to find different ways to address those things. That's why I believe those people who pray are the ones who are really understanding the heart of God, especially in this situation. That's why some of you are like struggling with where you are right now. Some of you feel very confused. And I don't even have to know you. I'm going to say this boldly and bluntly. Some of you, that's God's way of wanting. He, he wants you to be in that intimate time of prayer. But are you praying? Like some of you, I don't know if some of us who are here, even still looking for a job. Like I, I've been challenging some people. When was the last time you actually prayed? Because a lot, a lot of times we're like, oh yeah, I'm praying. But prayer for you is just thinking about it. That's not prayer. So that's why we ended up praying for some people and then boom. And they're like, oh my God. And I'm just like, yay. Because this is what we've been talking about. You think about it, you say you do it, but you don't really do it. So in the same way, when was the last time you actually interceded for some of the situation in your life? And like I said, because I'm speaking coming from that perspective where I've been there, where I know how to pray. I know that I should do it, but I don't really do it. I think about it, but I don't do it. 
And then we wonder, why isn't God answering our prayer? Why isn't God working? I wonder. Like, have you dedicated maybe about 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day just to pray for these things? And if you've ever tried to pray 15 minutes, you know how long that is? Some of you don't even know. Because you don't even know when was the last time you spent 15 minutes in prayer. In fact, if I were to time and I said, go pray, you realize after about three minutes, you'll be like, oh, are we done? I'm like, it's only been three minutes. It's not easy praying 15 minutes. But if you commit to yourself to, to commit to God and commit and devote yourself to say, I'm going to pray X amount of minutes every single day for things of God's heart and see what he does. And that's my challenge for some of us who always complain. Stop complaining. Keep your mouth shut. If you're going to open your mouth, open it up to God to pray. We're good at complaining. We're good at just being self-pitied for ourselves. We're having the self-pity party. When was the last time you actually prayed? So the I is what? Come on. Intercede. The S is stay informed. Once again, I want to challenge you. Read the news at least once a day. Some of you, if I see you on the street, I'm going to pull you over. So what happened today? You're like, well, what, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I go, no, in light of the message. What ha anything that happened today. So challenge each other. Hey, did you check up on the news? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you know you can go through a whole day and not know what's going on around the world? Because you're so consumed with yourself. So stay informed. So the I is what? And you see, the S is stay informed. The other S is start conversations. Like one of the easiest things to do is to actually just start a conversation. I know we have a lot of introverts in our church. And we praise God for you. We need introverts. But we also need you to open your mouth and have conversations with people. I'm not asking you to give a speech in front of a large audience. I'm asking some of you to be able to just talk with people that God is bringing into your life. Some of you already have friends. Start the conversations. Ask them what they think about the situation that's going on. And a lot of the starting conversations because you need, we need to, all of us need to be better listeners. You listen to understand. So start the conversations. So the I is what? Intercede. The S is stay informed. The other S is start a conversation. And the U is understand the facts. So once you start the conversations, you start staying informed, you have to understand the facts. There's a lot of emotional things going on right now, but there are a lot of factual stuff that you need to understand. I'm not going to go into all the details, but a lot of people are really jumping on certain bandwagons because that's like seems to be the thing. But when you start understanding the facts, you're like, whoa. Like, I don't know how many of you know, but even just saying Black Lives Matter, some people were like totally against it. Some people were like all for it. And so if you listen to the nuance of it, to be able to say Black Lives Matter, there's nothing wrong with saying Black Lives Matter. Like just, just saying that it matters. Like yellow lives matter or brown lives matter. Like Black Lives in this time, in this season, in light of what happened with George Floyd, that's something that we should be able to say. And those people who don't want to say, I'm like, you have a problem. Like, you should be able to say that. Because in this situation, now, if a yellow man dies somewhere, then I think we could say yellow lives matter. You know? 
We should be able to do that because of light of the situation. But then I know there are people who are now coming under the auspice or the covering of the Black Lives uh, BLM, but they are has nothing to do with the ethnicity and Black Lives. It has to do with all these other agendas. That's why there are a lot of people who will not endorse the organization. They will endorse the phrase and the people who are Black, but they will not endorse that organization because there's a lot of political things involved in that. I respect that because they've done their research. And so once again, it's to be able to understand the facts. And the E is engaged with empathy. It's learning how to not only have that conversation, but to be able to dialogue together, to engage them, or to be able to say, what are some things that I can do? And you do it out of empathy because you understand when you feel bullied or when you have experienced injustice. So then you could speak up and to know what's going on. And lastly, so the I is one, once again, I is what? Intercede. The S is? Stay informed. The other S? Start conversations. The U? And the E? And the S, and lastly, is share the gospel. Because if you listen carefully, you understand what they're going through, you understand the facts, you're empathizing as you're engaging them. One thing that begins to come forth is that the gospel is what they are actually looking for. It has answers. When they're feeling hopeless, we find hope in the gospel. And so it's not just about sharing about Jesus Christ, but some element of the gospel. It could be forgiveness. It could be about surrendering certain things uh, because it's putting them in bondage. It's about trust. It's about having faith and belief that you cannot see right now, but believing. So you don't always have to share about Jesus Christ dying on the cross, but some element of the gospel I think will help them. And then eventually it might lead to conversations of like, how do you become saved? And you can share Jesus Christ that way. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.